You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have Fedor Falcon. He's coming from Moscow. It's probably pretty late yes. where he is. I appreciate no, him coming. This is Fedor. Yeah, Fedor, thank you for coming. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. How yeah. Are you? Yeah, good. I wanted to talk to you about uh, how you're correlating the age of someone uh, by looking at their microbiome, human microbiome aging clocks. Oh, so, yes. Uh, yeah, tell me, what's your, uh, is this, where do you do this work through and how did you get interested in this? Well, uh, first of all, I graduated from Moscow State University, uh, Faculty of uh, Bioengineering and Bioinformatics. And when I graduated, I entered this uh, company called in silicon medicine uh, it is based in hong kong and it focuses on age uh, related studies um, longevity science uh, aging biomark biomarkers and uh, all such things and also um, a lot of uh, uh, drug design but uh, we have a great lot of studies dedicated to longevity science and uh, we had this project uh, to develop microbiome aging clocks um, there are all sorts of aging clocks today. Uh, the first of them uh, were developed in uh, 2013 by Harvard and independently by Hannum uh, et al. Uh, they developed uh, DNA methylation aging clocks. Uh, this is a technology that uh, lets you uh, read specific kind of uh, uh, marks uh, on your DNA called uh, DNA methylation marks. And based on your profile, uh, you can. Uh, this method lets you I guess the person's age. So um, since then, uh, there have been developed a lot of uh, similar technologies that uh, let people guess uh, somebody else's age based on their blood biochemistry, uh, based on their gene expression levels, and all such things. But uh, there has never been. Uh, such a clock that would take in uh, the abundance of microbes that live in your gut and uh, predict a person's age. There have been quite a few studies that uh, show uh, some correlations between the abundance of specific microbes and the age of the person. 
but uh, these studies have never gone beyond proclaiming some correlations and uh, deriving some kind of uh, dynamic theory or uh, developing a reliable predictor. And here we are. Right. Uh, we have used neural networks uh, to uh, build our predictor. Um, and it is uh, quite, well, uh, quite, uh, I don't want to say uh, radical, but quite unusual in the field because uh, most of the aging clocks, uh, they use much simpler uh, algorithms. Uh, for example, linear regression, elastic net or something like this uh, to uh, take in the uh, quantified biomarkers. Say if we deal with DNA methylation, uh, we feed to such an elastic network, uh, we feed the percentage of um, methylation on uh, a subset of uh, methylation sites, and uh, it produces uh, a linear model like y equals uh, some coefficient times x plus b, uh, something like that. And um, well, okay. First of all, I mean, yes. There, <laughs> how many? Yes. How many different? No, it's all right. How many different possible markers can you look for, and how would you ever know that? There's not dozens of cofactors, and it just seems really difficult to model any of this stuff. Like, how do you even approach it? Ah, uh, so um, there are different uh, ways of approaching it, but uh, we have uh, uh, gone for uh, the most straightforward one. We have uh, chosen uh, the most abundant and uh, the most prevalent in the population uh, microbes. So we had a cutoff of, um, if I remember correctly, 5%. So uh, each microbe uh, our model uses is present in at least 5% of uh, the population we uh, studied. Yeah. And uh, it is uh, present uh, in uh, each person. Uh, it is, well, not, not in each person. Uh, on average, uh, it is uh, present. Its abundance is uh, no less uh, than... Uh, uh, then uh, 10 to the power of uh, minus uh, 5. So we just had uh, some thresholds to take only the most prevalent and abundant microbes. So in all the, um, in all the samples that you've looked at, what kind of, uh, for the prevalent microbes, what kind of percentages do they comprise? Have you had situations where one microbe is like 20% of the entire yeah. you know, flora of someone's gut? What's the range you've seen? Well, um, We've seen uh, quite abundant microbes that, uh, as you just said, uh, can take uh, dozens of percents. Uh, and we have uh, also taken the microbes that are um, rather have rather minor recurrence in the gut. And uh, uh, the total set uh, of microbes our model can use is above 1,000. Uh, but typically, we do not see more than, uh, say, 200 uh, microbes in any particular person. Oh, you only see 200 microbes total, different ones? Uh, well, usually, in each person, we see only 200 microbes or something like that. But again, the most prevalent ones, what's the maximum percentage you've seen in somebody of any given species? Mm, and that would be uh, something like mm, 50%, I guess. Well, you know. Really? Bacteroides uh, genus and uh, the bacterium genus, Acromansia, they are all quite uh, high prevalence microbes. But that's at the genus level, at the strain or species level. Um, oh, yes. Uh, I was talking about um, 
the species from these uh, genus. Oh, so you've seen a single species that represents up to even 50% uh, uh, yes, of yes. someone's microbiome? Uh, yeah. So how does that, cor yeah, tell me about some of the clocks and some of the correlations. So have you seen that if uh, someone has one or two species that make up a very large percentage of their microbiome, does that typically mean they're unhealthy or not necessarily? Well, uh, not necessarily because uh, you have to uh, inspect these uh, people uh, thoroughly to understand whether they are healthy or not. But uh, we have uh, uh, trained our model only on uh, people that were marked as uh, healthy or control in some kind of study. Sure, we know that uh, if a person is marked as control, uh, it doesn't uh, mean that he is completely healthy. But uh, still, we hope he's uh, healthier than somebody in the case group of a study. Okay, I just yeah, you know, and then in terms of the clocks, what have people found in the literature? What determines uh, a person, or not determines, but what do they see at different ages in people? What changes in their microbiome? Mm. So um, uh, speaking on that, uh, there are um, some uh, correlations. So, well, the most uh, widely known correlation. Uh, is on very high um, level of uh, organization. So there are two big uh, groups of uh, bacteria called uh, Firmicutes and uh, Bacteroides. And it is uh, said that with age, uh, the fraction of Bacteroides to Firmicutes, it uh, fluctuates. So uh, say uh, small children, they ha first have a uh, big fraction of Bacteroides to Firmicutes. Uh, then in adult uh, people, it actually decreases. And uh, then the older a person gets, uh, bacteroides to firmicutes uh, ratio goes um, higher and higher. So that is uh, one of uh, uh, correlations uh, we can find in the literature. Also, okay. uh, so mm -hmm. is it, all right, look, for that correlation, is it linear with age or is it exponential or what, what does it look like, that curve or that, you know, that change over time? Well, I'd say it is uh, something uh, moreover, uh, what do you call it, Re reversed uh, bell or something like that. Oh, so is, is it a step function as well? Or does it go, does it stay for a few years and then, is it always changing or does it stay you know, stagnant or constant for a while? Uh, no, and then no, suddenly it, is, change? Uh, it is uh, changing, but uh, as I said, this uh, fraction, it is uh, high both in um, children and in elderly people. And oh, is it the same fraction or does it change? Like from Mickey to, you know, F to B, from Mickey to Bacteroides, well, I'll just call it F and B. So what's yes. the ratio in kids and what's the ratio in old people? Uh, in, uh, in old people, it is uh, something like, uh, uh, if we talk F to B, right? F to yeah. B, it would be F like uh, one tenth. Um, and uh, in... Uh, uh, in uh, adults, it would be like uh, two or three B2F. And uh, in uh, children, we also see this uh, something like uh, one-tenth. So, okay. So kids, if it's, we'll keep it constant as F over B, let's say. So it's one over 10 in kids. Then it goes mm -hmm. three over 10 in adults. And then back to one over 10 for elderly people. Wait, uh, no. Um, if we talk um, B2F, it is something like... Um, 10, let's keep the let's keep the same ratio, yeah. Let's keep the same ratio. You decide which one, but all right. So those three segments. Talk, what, so what is the ratio? B to F, it is something like ten 
then uh, 0.5, and then 10 again. Oh, oh wow, it changes. Okay, flip-flops, then goes back. I see what you mean. Mm -hmm. huh. So it is something like a, well, reverse bell curve or something like that. Like a U, a U shape, let's say, you know, over time. Okay, uh, button. interesting. Yeah, so and what, uh, we... Mm -hmm. So what does that tell you, seeing that? What does that, uh, what does that tell you to look for or to consider? Well, we have... Uh, <laughs> We have not uh, studied our uh, model on such high levels. We jumped straight to the uh, to the species level, and uh, we found uh, some. Uh, we have some findings uh, that align with uh, the literature on species, because well, although this is a, a really general uh, correlation about bacteroides and firmicutes, uh, it is not suitable for accurate prediction. Okay. What are you trying to predict, by the way? Someone's age or other factors? Uh, primarily someone's age. But uh, we have uh, also discovered that uh, uh, this uh, model of ours works fine on uh, people with uh, normal microbiota. Uh, it predicts them uh, accurately, but it, um, it fails completely on people with type 1 diabetes. So we assume that uh, something wrong is, uh, there is something wrong with uh, the microbiota in uh, people with diabetes. And uh, this uh, is somehow, somehow affecting uh, the process of uh, intestinal aging. Type one or type two? Type one. We have only tried type one, no type two yet. Oh, that's interesting. Type two would be, I think, really interesting, but type one is, I'm sure, too. Hmm. Yeah, we're, we're also looking for other kinds of uh, data to test with uh, our uh, model uh, to verify it uh, further and to see what uh, other diseases have uh, such an effect on um, microflora uh, that we can catch with our model. Uh, so if uh, anybody out there is interested in uh, cooperating in this uh, direction, we would uh, gladly discuss academic or even commercial part partnership. So for type 1 diabetes, what does it look like? Have you, have you done a longitudinal look yet? Have you gotten people at, at you know, various ages that have type 1? We have uh, people see? of uh, various ages, um, no longitudinal yet. Uh, but uh, what we see is that uh, the younger people with type 1 diabetes, uh, they are predicted uh, to be much uh, older than they actually are. So mm. it seems like uh, the people with uh, diabetes, they constantly have uh, uh, their gut in an old stage. Huh. Either if a person is young or uh, if the person is old, uh, all we see is uh, an old person. Oh, wow. How, how old approximately? Well, uh, something like uh, a 20-year-old uh, guy with uh, diabetes uh, could uh, look to this model uh, as a 60-year-old guy. Okay, interesting. And what about a 60-year-old a guy? Do they look 80 uh, well, or they still look 60? Uh, he would uh, probably look uh, something like uh, his age. Okay, okay. So, huh. Yeah, so typically we see that younger people seem older, but older people still look old. Uh, as old as they actually seem to be. Have you looked at uh, how diet influences the uh, you know this curve? We are, for healthy uh, people? we are trying to develop this uh, direction right now, but it is uh, not at all easy to uh, to deal with uh, diets. Uh, 
because first uh, you you have to find some fine studies where uh, where this uh, diet is well documented uh, and uh, perfectly you would like to uh, see some person uh, in different time points and uh, also another limitation we have is that we deal only with uh, whole genome sequencing data so yeah. a lot of studies out there are made with uh, 16s sequencing technology and mm -hmm. uh, uh, that uh, limits our uh, selection of data we can use so Why, our what's wrong with, doesn't 16s only look at parts of bacteria that seem to be preserved over a long period of time that's why they yeah. use it yeah, well, uh, they use it primarily because it is uh, much cheaper than whole genome sequencing and uh, also data analysis or, say, classification uh, is also much, uh, goes much faster, much easier than uh, WGS uh, sequencing uh, runs. So, why can't you use the 16S for your models? If you can't get whole genome sequencing, and you want to go faster, why don't you use 16XS as a proxy well, for that? Uh, well, first of all, we, uh, we have tried doing some 16S, and uh, we believe that uh, the level of uh, resolution uh, we can obtain with uh, 16S technology is not enough. So we went with WGS because uh, then we can um, achieve uh, much more uh, accurate uh, classification results and uh, see the actual species. Because with uh, 16S uh, runs, it is quite often the case that uh, you only can uh, tell different uh, genus or gene apart, not species. And uh, what is, here we what can... is shotgun sequencing? I've heard about that. Is that the same as whole genome sequencing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. Uh, it is the same. So uh, if uh, 16S uh, sequencing uh, is looking for a specific uh, mark a gene that uh, uh, can tell two different species apart. Uh, the whole genome or uh, shotgun uh, sequencing, it uh, breaks up the whole genome uh, of uh, any bacteria. And uh, what you receive uh, is uh, a genome of a bacteria uh, breaking in different, in a lot of different ways in different parts. You get uh, small pieces of uh, text from this genome, and uh, then uh, you can uh, you can be much more sure that uh, this particular um, uh, this particular sample has uh, say say ten percent of uh, a bacterium uh, from species A, because uh, while breaking uh, the genome of this uh, species A in your sample, you get uh, not only one marker gene but you get uh, like tens and uh, hundreds of marker genes uh, from all kinds of bacteria. And you get to, uh, get to classify uh, your runs much more accurately. Okay, gotcha. Well, why not, um, why don't you, I mean, just as a directional type thing, why wouldn't you approach someone that says they're a carnivore, someone that says they're a vegan, someone says that they just have like a standard diet and you know, look at like two age points, you know, old and young, and just see what you see for a starting point, and maybe get a directional sense of what you could find if you went more in detail. Well, uh, that is one way to look at it. But uh, first of all, we uh, decided to see if we can uh, simulate 
the effects of uh, different diets. Uh, there is a lot of information uh, in the literature on uh, what kind of nutrients causes uh, what species to uprise and uh, downregulate downregul uh, the other species. Uh, so we decided to go with uh, that information first and uh, see, say, if we have uh, a person and we know I, his age and uh, his microflora profile, so the abundances of all bacteria living in his gut, and uh, try to, uh, well, digitally feed him uh, more protein or more glu um, glucose and see what, uh, and simulate the upregulation glucose causes and then predict the new, and then we predict uh, the new simulated profile and uh, see what happened to his age prediction, if it goes higher or lower. So unfortunately, uh, so, so far we uh, have not uh, received any uh, steady results uh, on this. Uh, this may be the case with uh, the literature data because, well, uh, uh, most frequently uh, you cannot uh, qu quantify these, uh, uh, these effect, say gl glucose causes uh, very accurately. You can only say if uh, glucose uh, downregulates or upregulates a microbe. So okay. it, it is uh, not accurate enough for us. So we should uh, know uh, what, what, uh, what exactly, uh, how strong the effect of uh, any nutrient. And uh, it seems like uh, nutrients don't act that, uh, that independently from each other. And you need to take, uh, to take in the information on the whole diet. And what do you mean also, nutrients don't act independently of each other? What do you mean? Well... Uh, apart from uh, a nutrient being consumed, it is uh, quite important to consider the source of the nutrient. So uh, you can say take supplements and uh, get uh, more or say some kind of a vitamin, vitamin, uh, vitamin say E or something like that. Or you can uh, take uh, some kind of a uh, product. You can take uh, your vitamins with. Uh, with whole grain bread, with uh, milk, with uh, uh, meat, vegetables, and uh, what the nutrients uh, come in tow with that uh, greatly influences uh, the, uh, the effect on the microbiome. Okay. Um, what, so, I mean, there's a lot of directions you can take this. Where do you want your focus to be and why? Like, what do you want to figure out specifically? Well, first of all, uh, we would like to verify our model further and uh, if we need to uh, we would like to uh, uh, over train it so we would like to add more data to uh, let it uh, consider all the uh, all the variation in human uh, microflora uh, that possibly exists so uh, first uh, first and foremost so we would like to uh, train our model on more data then we would like to uh, see if uh, we can uh, pinpoint some uh, diseases akin to type 1 diabetes with uh, this clock and possibly see uh, the uh, effects of um, medication of uh, diseases and diseases, diseases and medication uh, together. Uh, how, to, um, how, variable, how variable are people's microbiomes, healthy people? Like, well, you know, like how, how many samples have you extremely. seen and how different are they? They're extremely variable. So altogether, we have seen uh, almost 
oh no, actually over 4,000 uh, profiles uh, from uh, one, 1,000 and uh, something like uh, seven, uh, se- 700 people. We, and we saw that um, they're actually all quite uh, different. Uh, for example, as I've said, we have uh, a model that takes in, that can take in uh, one, uh, something like 1,000 uh, microbe abundances. But at the same time, we observe only uh, two or 300 different microbes uh, in each person. And it is quite frequently that uh, these, uh, these different microbes overlap only slightly. Mm-hmm. You can take uh, two different people and uh, say one lives in uh, China, the other lives in US, and uh, they will have uh, only, uh, say, a 15% uh, overlap of the total community abundance. Well, what does that tell you? Does that tell you that there are various microbes that can do the same job apparently in people, in their hosts, and maybe that's well, why there's such variation, yet still have health? Well, yes, uh, it is actually uh, one of the other reasons we went for uh, whole genome sequencing. It is, uh, uh, it is widely known that there is uh, no such thing as uh, universal healthy core microbiota, uh, something that all human people share. Uh, you can have a healthy microbiota in a thousand different ways. But uh, what is uh, more or less stable is um, the functions this microbiota carries. It was uh, found uh, with, uh, within the Human Microbiome Project. Uh, they studied uh, the species, um, the composition of uh, microbiota, and then they looked at uh, functional composition of microbiota. They used uh, whole genome sequencing uh, to classify uh, the genetic information, not in terms of species and uh, th- uh, taxonomy, but in terms of uh, genes and what they do. And uh, w- what you see when you uh, look at uh, human microbiome like this, you see that although uh, two people can have uh, absolutely different uh, taxonomic compositions, they actually have uh, quite similar functions, function distribution uh, in their microbiota. So although, uh, yeah, although it is, uh, although uh, human microbiota is uh, a very variable object, uh, it, ha- it still has something common in it. And uh, another uh, thing we wanted to see is uh, how, uh, what kind of a model we would get if we uh, used uh, genes contained in the uh, gut instead of uh, species. But uh, so far, we still, we still haven't run out of things to do with on species level. And when we do, uh, we will uh, probably uh, go down to uh, functional and uh, genetic level to see what is happening there. Well, what and about probably- on the metabolomic level? What if you look at your 700 people or 1,000 people on the metabolomic level and look at the well, prevalence we- of various metabolites? Maybe then they'll look much more similar. Yeah, probably that is what we expect, but we have not done that yet. Okay. Yeah, I just so, wonder on, on some level, there's gonna be, they'll look much more common than not. So that's just you know, my speculation. But do you, yeah, do well, you deal with... That, that uh, is probably the case. Where, where are your samples coming from? Is it oral? Is it fecal? Vaginal? It is, uh, or are you doing fecal. multiple sites? No, we're doing only fecal um, samples. And uh, all we use are... The samples obtained uh, from uh, public repositories uh, like uh, European Nucleotide Archive, 
uh, we found uh, all, uh, all pr practically all our samples uh, in there. So, and we were uh, almost always looking for uh, the uh, samples that had uh, metadata with them. So where each sample uh, had the information on what kind of uh, person it came from, like age, uh, gender, if uh, the person consumes antibiotics, if, uh, if the person is, uh, has some kind of a disease or something like that. So we use this kind of data. Interesting. You have a lot of work to do. What, what, so what is going to be your focus over the next year or two? What do you want to figure out? Well, um, we would like uh, to figure out, well, the, uh, the actual purpose of uh, this whole project is uh, to see if we can uh, find uh, the uh, silver bullet uh, microbes uh, that uh, can make uh, people look younger or actually uh, make them look older and effect on these uh, microbes. So if we find, uh, say, a geroprotective uh, microbe, we want to make it flourish in our guts so that uh, it makes us younger. And uh, then we would like to uh, possibly uh, see if it can be administered as a probiotic uh, to people, or if uh, there are specific uh, dietary interventions people could take to increase the abundance of this bacterium, or maybe lifestyle decisions like, I don't know, so quit smoking or drink less and uh, the effects uh, these interventions cause on your longevity uh, are actually mediated by some kind of a, a geroprotective bacterium. I guess another interesting thing is if, um, if you look at, you know, hundreds of people and you look at maybe the metabolomic side, you could identify which bacteria can perform the same functions in the human gut. Because yeah, there they was. They to do the same thing across so many people. Now, there was uh, a study uh, that, well, did uh, something like that. Uh, they, uh, I cannot remember the author, uh, but uh, they studied uh, the co-abundance groups of uh, bacteriums. Uh, there are some uh, certain, uh, certain microbes uh, that uh, are usually co-abundant. That means that if uh, one bacteria has high abundance, it is... Uh, likely that uh, the second bacteria from this group will be abundant as well. So uh, there are some groups of bacteria that behave the same in communities. And uh, usually, uh, usually you can uh, divide the whole microbiome of a person uh, into a, a subset of, into a set of uh, these co-abundance groups and uh, completely replace uh, the species uh, information with uh, the information uh, aggregated within these groups. So it is another approach we are uh, looking forward to using is uh, using co-abundance group analysis. Very good. So what's the best way for, for people to uh, learn more about what you're doing and follow it and you know, get in contact? Well, uh, first of all, we have uh, recently uh, released uh, the tool um, this microbiome aging clock, uh, it is uh, absolutely uh, free to the public. You can uh, reach it by typing aging.ai in your browser. Uh, then you get to our uh, aging clock site where you can uh, use uh, blood biochemistry aging clock 
And uh, now you can also use uh, the flora clock. We call it flora clock, the um, microbiomic aging clock. You uh, can uh, run some example data provided by us uh, to see how it works, or you can upload your own data and uh, download uh, the age predictions. It also has uh, some built-in functions like telling what uh, probiotics uh, will make uh, your samples look younger or older. So we're already working in the direction of uh, probiotic development. So, well, very good. And, well, Fedor, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you have a lot of work ahead of you. It's super interesting, and, and I really appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, calling me about uh, my work. It was a pleasure uh, discussing with, the, with you. Mm. And uh, yes, sorry that I was a bit nervous talking uh, with you and uh, sometimes it's okay. it was hard You're to fine. understand what I was uh, talking about. It's okay, no problem. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40... I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.